Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll check out the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Give them a call. They do a great job. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. It is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He's a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll finish up our discussion on vaccine mandates and talk about voting rights. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books, 10 books, I think. What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional is his latest. I hope you'll give it a read as well. It is September the 8th, and on this day in 1935, Senator Huey Long was shot in Louisiana State Capitol building. He died about 30 hours later. Called a demagogue by critics, the populist leader was a larger-than-life figure who boosted and boasted that he bought legislators like sacks of potatoes, shuffled them like decks of cards. He gave himself the nickname Kingfish, saying, I'm a small fish here in Washington, but I'm a kingfish to the folks down in Louisiana. In 1928, Long became the youngest governor of Louisiana at age 34. His brash style alienated many people, including the heads of the biggest corporation in the state, Standard Oil. Long preached the redistribution of wealth, which he believed could be done by heavily taxing the rich. One of his early propositions, which met with much opposition, was occupational tax on oil refineries. Later, Long would develop those theories into the Share Our Wealth Society, which promised a $2,500 minimum income per family. Sound familiar? Long also abolished the state's poll tax on voting and gained free textbooks for every student. His motto was, Every Man a King. His populism led to the impeachment attempt, but he successfully foiled the charges. In 1930, he won the election for Louisiana senator, but declined to serve until his hand-picked successor was able to win the governor's seat in 1932. Soon after vigorously campaigning for Franklin Roosevelt in 1932, Long, with his own designs on the office, began loudly denouncing the new president. In response, many of his allies in Louisiana legislature turned against him and would no longer vote for his candidates. In an effort to regain power in the state, Long managed to pass a series of laws giving him control over the appointment of every public position in the state, including every policeman and school teacher. Long was planning to take on Franklin Roosevelt in the next election, was shot by Dr. Carl Weiss at a point-blank rage outside the main hall of the Capitol building. Weiss's motives continued to be debated, but some believe he was angry about rumors Long had spread about his doctor's in-laws who opposed Long politically. One of the great books of all time, Robert Penn Warren's All the King's Men, about Long's very interesting and mercurial life. Huey Long, dead on this day. Well, Collier County's uh, COVID cases fell by more than 5%, and Florida's fell by more than 15%. That's really good news. And uh, here's some, well, some thought it was good news. The FDA has now approved the Pfizer vaccine, right? Well, not really. This is also misleading. It really kind of boils my blood. I'm sorry to have to report that the FDA, the U.S. Food Drug Administration, approved a biologics licensed application for the Pfizer Comirnaty vaccine. The press reported the vaccine mandates are now legal for military health care workers, college students, employees in many industries. 
New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has now required the vaccine for all teachers and school staff. The Pentagon is proceeding with its mandate for all military service members. But there are several bizarre aspects to the FDA approval that will prove confusing to those not familiar with the pervasiveness of FDA's regulatory capture or the depth of its cynicism. First, the FDA acknowledges that while Pfizer has insufficient stocks of the newly licensed Comirnaty vaccine available, that's insufficient stocks, there are a significant amount of uh, Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine produced under the emergency use authorization still available for use. The FDA decrees that the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine under the EUA, that's emergency use authorization, should remain unlicensed but can use interchangeably with the new licensed Comirnaty product. Now, but second, the FDA pointed out that the licensed Pfizer Comirnaty vaccine and its existing Pfizer vaccine are legally distinct, but claims there are differences are not will not impact safety or effectiveness. Big lie emerging here, huh? So this is a huge real-world difference between products proved under the EUA compared with those the FDA has fully licensed. It has to do with liability. Basically, the uh, new licensed product, Comirnaty, has not been, it will be, uh, suffer the liabilities of any other drug on the market if it provides, uh, causes harm. But the current drug, that the current vaccine will not. It is protected under the uh, under the law that says that uh, there will be no, you can't charge or you can't sue a vaccine for vaccine injuries. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> when the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices places a vaccine on mandatory schedule, a childhood vaccine benefits from a genus retinue of liability protections, but licensed adult vaccines, including the new Comirnaty, do not enjoy any liability shield, just as with Ford's exploding, exploding Pinto or Monsanto's herbicide Roundup, people injured by a Comirnaty vaccine could potentially sue for damages, and because adults injured by the vaccine will be able to show that the manufacturer knew the problems with the product, jury awards could be astronomical. Pfizer is therefore unlikely to allow American uh, any American to take the Comirnaty vaccine until it can somehow arrange immunity for this product. Given this background, the FDA's acknowledgement its approval letter that there are insufficient stocks of the licensed Comirnaty, but an abundance of the Pfizer-BioNTech jab exposes the approval as a cynical scheme to encourage businesses and schools to impose the illegal jab mandate. The FDA's clear motivation is to enable Pfizer to quickly unload inventories of a vaccine that science and the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System has exposed as unreasonably dangerous and that the Delta variant has rendered obsolete. Americans told that the Pfizer COVID vaccine is now licensed will understandably assume COVID vaccine mandates are lawful, but only EUA-authorized vaccines for which no one has any real liability will be available when many school mandates uh, deadlines occur. Can you see how sinister this is? But the President of the United States got up and said, now that this is all approved, now that the FDA has approved the vaccine, you can go get your shot without any fears. But it's not approved. It's still under the emergency use authorization. This is, uh, this is just too cynical. It's just unbelievable. Who can you trust in these days? Uh, the FDA is playing bait and switch with the American public but we don't have to play along. If it doesn't say Comirnaty, you're not off. 
you are not being offered an approved vaccine, and you have a right to turn down uh, any kind of vaccine that hasn't that's being used for emergency use authorization and has not been approved by the FDA. How about that? By the way, Senator Rand Paul has formally communicated with the Attorney General Merrick Garland requesting a criminal investigation into alleged lies and cover-ups by Dr. Anthony Fauci. Paul alleges that Fauci was lying when he claimed that the National Institutes of Health did not fund gain-of-function research. Fauci also denies the NIH having sent funds to Wuhan Institute of Virology indirectly or directly. According to the Washington Examiner, this particular issue has to do with Fauci's testimony before the U.S. Congress on May the 11th, 2021. I saw it. Fauci was under oath when he categorically denied any connection between the NIH and the uh, Wuhan lab. In fact, he even told Senator Pobb, you just don't know what you're talking about. The NIH has never and does not uh, fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, said Fauci at the time. However, it appears that there may be evidence to the contrary. Peter Daszak apparently publicly thanked Fauci in 2020 for his public position on what is known now as lab leak theory. Daszak is the president of Ecolab Health Alliance, which in turn is directly connected to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Paul on Tuesday went on Fox News Live after another hearing uh, earlier that day and told Sean Hannity and the million watching in no uncertain terms that he was prepared to take further action regarding potential U.S. government money going to the Wuhan lab and Fauci's possible role in such. Absolutely. And as finally on the vaccines, Dr. Robert Malone, one of the inventors of the mRNA technology, said, and that's the one that's being used in the Pfizer and other vaccines, one of my concerns are that the uh, government is not being transparent with us about those risks and so I'm of the opinion that people who have the right to decide whether to accept a vaccine or not, especially since those are experimental vaccines, Norwegian study conducted of 100 nursing homes residents who died after receiving Pfizer coronavirus shots, they found that at least 10 of those deaths were likely caused by the vaccine. That's 10%. That's a lot. Unbelievable. <clears throat> by the way, President Biden on Tuesday traveled to New York and New Jersey to tour areas stuck by deadly flooding from Tropical Storm Ida, but received a hostile welcome from some New Jersey residents who heckled him and flashed middle fingers <laughs> and used a lot. You resign, you tyrant, was one Manville uh, shouted, one gentleman. Uh, there, there was some other stuff that was said. There was a, one person held a U.S. flag protest banner that said, <laughs> F Biden and F you voting for him. <laughs> Unbelievable. There's a lot of anger about Joe Biden. When you talk about Afghanistan, what's happening with the, with the uh, pandemic, inflation, you name it. Uh, lots of problems. I can't think of one good thing he's done for the United States of America. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C., and we're focusing on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. Terrific organization. And uh, last week, or for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, vaccine mandates in general. Uh, so we'll f- complete that discussion and maybe tell you if we have time to talk about voting rights. But aren't there alternatives short of forcing people to inject something into their body? Yeah, there are a number of possibilities. I mean, periodic testing is certainly one answer. But there are a lot of, a lot of folks that uh, would find that alternative to be uh, worse than a, a quick and, uh, and free uh, jab in the arm. Um, there's, the, of course, the alternative of mass and social distancing, but the consensus is that the vaccine uh, which would be better than that and, and still necessary. And then some folks believe that there's a natural immunity for those who actually get the disease, and that's even stronger than the vaccine-induced immunity. But the, the studies that I've uh, seen have indicated otherwise that the natural immunity is not quite as strong. 
Um, it's possible, of course, that if there were a mandate, that it would be not national, but geographically constrained to where real problems are, and also demographically constrained. That is only apply to folks that are really at uh, at risk. And it suggests that if there were to be such a thing, that local officials be given lots of discretion in determining what the terms are. Um, there is the possibility of this so-called vaccine passport. This is the alternative where it's really not a mandate. It's voluntary, but if you don't do it, then you can't engage in certain activities. It seems like Americans are very much in favor of that. Of course, it's, uh, it's been selectively uh, implemented across the country. Yeah, well, a lot, a lot of this, uh, a lot of people who are unhappy with it as well. Uh, of course, that's a, uh, for example, we see the what's happening in France. But what other concerns do you have, and what is your bottom line on the desirability of a vaccine mandate? Well, of course, you need to know something about how this is going to be enforced if it were to be implemented. Uh, how do you punish people uh, for not complying with the mandate? Are you going to require people to? Uh, uh, report periodically or to carry paper? Uh, is there going to be some kind of data tracking that goes on that intrudes on our, our privacy? Uh, the drug companies, of course, would be granted special uh, market power because everybody be required to, uh, to uh, use their product, and will they be exploiting that? Um, and you need to know whether the politicians <clears throat> would use the uh, so-called this, this emergency declaration, uh, and they'd use that as justification for all kinds of other things that we would not like to see. So those are, I think, important questions that have to be examined uh, before we uh, before we engage in this, because it is certainly that we're implemented an encroachment on on personal autonomy. Uh, the bottom line is, you know, we're in the midst of a of a health uh, problem, and it. it uh, it means that we may need some means of, uh, of attacking that problem. And some have suggested, and I think the arguments are pretty decent, that a modified, uh, narrowly tailored, and time-limited uh, set of rules uh, might be justified for, uh, for vaccines. Uh, and that's just about what we have right now across the country. Yeah. Pretty slippery slope, though, Bob. You see what's happening in Australia right now with uh, people having to... Uh... Uh, report into the government uh, in, within 15 minutes of their phone is if they have to call on, on their phone. I mean, this, the draconian measures that are being taken are just unbelievable. I personally, yeah. my personal position is that uh, certainly uh, mandates, vaccine mandates are uh, certainly warranted if, in fact, there's a pandemic or a serious health problem. But I think uh, what this situation has proven that we've got a, a serious case of the flu going around and uh, we don't have a pandemic, so I think this whole thing has blown way out of proportion. The fear, the man, the uh, uh, the uh, problem with fear is more is greater than the problem with the illness itself. Quite frankly, in my view, but I realize yeah. that not a lot of people yeah. disagree. Well, look, your view is shared by a lot of people, not not by me, but yeah. but it is shared by a lot of people, and that's uh, that's why we're having this this controversy. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your clarification and. Uh, reporting on this about thank you so much let's move to voting rights now the for the people act which is hr1 the very first bill uh, presented to the house of representatives passed the house but it's been stymied by republicans in senate in the senate and that's s1 
What are the main provisions? Well, most people think of uh, those two bills as strictly voting rights, but it actually has <clears throat> six major provisions. Uh, it does have national standards for voter registration and for mail-in ballots, but it also has uh, the establishment of nonpartisan redistrict redistricting commissions. It has some campaign finance disclosures of so-called uh, dark money. It uh, has an ethics code for Supreme Court justices. It prevents uh, <clears throat> members of Congress from being able to settle sex-related lawsuits with taxpayer money. That seems like a no-brainer. <laughs> yes, it does. And it, and it requires presidents to disclose their uh, tax returns. So there are six major provisions, only one of which is is uh, voting standards. Isn't that interesting? So just cutting to the chase here, is the For the People Act constitutional? I think with respect to presidential elections, it's probably unconstitutional. It's the states who are authorized under Article 2 of the Constitution to, this is a quote, appoint electors in such manager, manner as the legislature of the state may direct. Uh, the feds have only the power to determine the time of choosing electors. So I think Congress would be overreaching, uh, encroaching on state powers if Congress tried to dictate national registration and mail-in standards for uh, presidential elections. The important exception there, however, is that if Congress can show, can base its case on the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment and show that these state laws discriminate against a protected class, for example, a racial minority, then the court might approve a federal intervention. Even then, the remedy would have to be proportional to the violation. So you, you can't have a solution that's so broad that uh, it's a national standard, for example merely because one state happened to require some burdensome, uh, uh, like proof of citizenship, for example, to register. And I don't believe that Congress has met its burden with respect to most of these state laws. Mm. Uh, there may be enough evidence of discrimination to invalidate one or two of the more egregious state provisions, uh, but not certainly to go so far as to approve national standards. Interesting. So are the rules different for congressional elections? Yeah, they are. The Article 1 of the Constitution says Congress can make or alter state rules related to the time, place, and manner. So with respect to president, it's only time. With respect to Congress, it's time, place, and manner of holding elections for uh, senators and representatives. But Congress cannot commandeer the states to enact federal laws, and Congress cannot enforce um, uh, the states to uh, to, to um, enforce federal legislation. So that you know that's the same issue that we've talked about with respect to medical marijuana and gun background checks, and sanctuary cities and Medicaid expansion. Federal law trumps conflicting state law, but if a state doesn't want to help, then the feds have to enforce their own laws. The feds can't compel the states to cooperate, and Congress may not intrude on state prerogatives without a very good reason, such as, for example, proof of uh, discriminatory intent. And that would require state-by-state, law-by-law determination, not this one-size-fits-all uh, remedy that's been proposed in Congress. 
So interesting. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, I'd like to pick up this discussion next week. I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, the website is cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Andrew Jabba, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. We have many great programs, including creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. The website, thefga.org. I hope you check it out. Coming up, Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, uh, usually we start off with a little good news uh, in our segments together. A- any good news? Well, today was a particular struggle to find the good news, but I think there is some. I uh, subscribe to The Economist, a European-based uh, economics and business uh, publication journal. Uh, it certainly leans to the left. It's not far left, but it certainly leans to the left. They just issued a, or put out a scathing editorial, uh, essentially attacking the American political left, the uh, the, the title of that article is 
a political thought, the threat from the liberal left. And the subtitle, Don't Underestimate the Danger of Left-Leaning Identity Politics. It's a long editorial, Bob, perhaps uh, 1,500 to 2,000 words. Uh, but basically, the, the difference they create between the, the classic liberal. The classic liberal wanted natural forces to determine outcomes. For example, meritocracy. They see the progressive left in America trying to impose through authoritarian methods outcomes based on uh, equity or identity and, and so forth. So uh, that's only a, a case of what this uh, editorial does. But I think it's a it's a good sign in the sense that it shows even those leaning to the left can understand the damage being done to America by the progressive left in America today, Bob. That is good news. I mean, uh, for, unfortunately, not a lot of people will see that because it's a pretty high-level uh, magazine or uh, uh, publication, but irrespective, I mean, uh, it's absolutely... I, I subscribe to it for my classes. It provides the, probably the most up-to-date uh, analysis of worldwide economic conditions. I teach international courses. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it doesn't have a, it's not going to get a wide exposure, but uh, I think it does indicate perhaps finally a penetration of the problem in America right now. And thank you for that, Andy. So let's, let's talk, move to some of the things that are going on. Let's start off with what's happening in Afghanistan. What's, what are your thoughts? Well, let me just offer a few thoughts, if I might, Bob, about, about 9-11. And it's the, uh, the last uh, get-together we'll have before, before 9-11. Yep. I have uh, somewhat an intimacy with the event. I had uh, been teaching a class, a Tuesday, Thursday evening class, and it started the Thursday before the, the Tuesday event uh, of, of 9-11. Um, I, my campus was a block from the Javits uh, Convention Center, and my son worked for uh, Mega Giuliani. Uh, he was part of the recovery team in, uh, in, the, in the Hudson River Barge that was uh, trying to get New York back on its feet. Uh, my best friend was uh, Giuliani's major domo and his major influence for, for leadership. So uh, his name is uh, still is Elliot Cooper, of course, and uh, I, uh, I had praised Elliot uh, to no ends for the, for the uh, guidance that he had offered Rudy in terms of his leadership style. And it was that leadership style that I, I think helped uh, help New York recover. Uh, on the, the downside of, of uh, a deeper downside of, of that event, I think we've learned very little from it, Bob. I, I had attended a, uh, a meeting approximately three weeks uh, after that on my uh, college campus, attended by anywhere from two to 300 people. And I can honestly say that there was not one voice offered in total support of America other than myself. Everyone else was seeking out what had America done wrong that mm -hmm. caused these fine young men to, uh, to attack and, and kill 3,000 people and bring down the, uh, the World Trade Center, uh, a center for certainly international cooperation in the, in, in the business area and, and the globalized economy. So. Uh, but it, that that was the event only three weeks after yeah. after 9/11, and I think we've seen that kind of disunity uh, getting deeper and deeper as as time has unfolded. Up. That's interesting. The the irony is that that's somewhat of this uh, sometimes the same reaction of uh, victims of domestic violence. In in what way, Bob? Just well, just that, uh, just that uh, in many cases, uh, a, a victim of domestic violence might begin by saying, "What did I do wrong?" What, what, Oh, yes, in, in, certainly in, in that sense. But this, this was uh, so dramatic. It wasn't offering uh, you know, modest uh, uh, suggestions of uh, infractions by the United States. It was basically saying, and everyone at that meeting was saying that the United States was causal uh, in terms of uh, 
I would put it this way, having earned earned that event by their prior actions. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my position was that this was a, uh, a, a non-governmental situation. If this was a war between nations, then it could gain some justification, not, not dramatic justification, but some. But this is a group of, of, of private thugs, essentially, <clears throat> who had decided to put knife, knife cutters or box cutters to the throats of people in airplanes and and crashed them into uh, American buildings, Pentagon, and the World Trade Center. Uh, this was not an event that could be justified under any any measurement of American prior action. Yeah, yes, isn't it so true? And uh, you know, we take for granted that, and sometimes trash that what other people treasure, uh, because so many people would love to have the freedoms that we enjoy here in the United States. There's, we're diminishing them because we don't treasure them, don't take care of them, but. Uh, uh, it's it's just such a shame that people would take that point of view. I, I think that's an important point you just made. Let me expand on that a little bit. Um, I, I believe that once people have something, they desire it far less than when they're trying to achieve it. Right. For example, when, when people are striving <clears throat> to move themselves out of slavery, they'll they'll go to any extreme to try to eliminate the slavery and achieve freedom. But as you're just uh, alluding to, Bob, once the freedom is achieved, it becomes far less significant than it was in the in the aspiration for freedom. So I think we're seeing that in America. It's a uh, it's become a self indulgent society, society in many ways, with no appreciation for the values that these people have been born into, and by the fact that they were born into them, uh, they give them uh, very little regard in, in in too many cases. Bob, that's so true, so true, Andy. So we certainly have uh, uh, the uh, that's coming up on Saturday. Unfortunately, uh, uh, the president right now is not welcome, unfortunately, because of the positions that he's taken and what's happened in Afghanistan. So let's come back to Afghanistan. One, one final point on that. On the uh, memorials that will take place on Saturday, here's one thing I would guarantee in advance nationwide. You will not hear the word Islam. Yeah. I can almost guarantee you will not hear the word Islam. But let, let's move into Afghanistan. Uh, well, let's, let's, uh, uh, let's first of all just point out the significance of that. Now, why is that, Andy? Well, I think one thing we did learn from 9-11, we should have learned it throughout the 90s with the 1993 attack on the World Trade Center, the USS Coles attack, the Cobar Apartments attack, and, and so forth. We should have learned that the, there was significant danger associated with, uh, with, the, uh, with the provocation of, of Isla, Islamic jihad, let's call it. I think we learned that uh, completely with the 9-11 attack. And I think from that point forward, uh, we have been on our, uh, let's call it our best behavior. Uh, George Bush, although he did initiate the, the initial attack on the, uh, the Taliban and the al-Qaeda strongholds in Afghanistan, immediately became an Islamic apologist, calling it a, a religion of peace under the guidance of, uh, uh, I think it was Joseph Epstein out of Georgetown University, a very, uh, very um, uh, moderate view of, of, of Islam. Uh, and I know there are other views, but I, I would suggest you, uh, I think the world must understand that one of the major dogmas of, of Islam is the need to be involved with Islamic Jihad. And I, I think we've learned that we're, I guess I, I think we've learned, Bob, that we're afraid of Islam. And I think, therefore, we don't want to provoke it. Mm, interesting. Thank you, Andy. Okay, so uh, then moving on to, uh, to what's happening in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is, is certainly a, uh, a difficult situation with a lot of, uh, I think, meaningful positions that are somehow contradictory to each other. So it's, it's a difficult, uh, 
uh, area to gain a firm statement about. But I would I would say this, Bob. For years, I've been hearing that our involvement with uh, in Afghanistan post let's say 2001, 2002, was absolutely useless. Now that we're I'm hearing all kinds of comments that now America is in dramatic danger as uh, the Taliban reasserts itself, uh, al-Qaeda reasserts itself, and ISIS has now inserted itself in Afghanistan. So I, I would make the point that we must at least consider that our 20-year investment in Afghanistan was time and money well spent. Yeah. Uh, if, in fact, the, the projections right now of American uh, level of danger having increased exponentially, uh, I think we have to understand that it was that 20-year investment of, of America that might have prevented those uh, radical elements and the, the jihadist elements from forming. Now, I've heard a lot about the uh, differences between Taliban and al-Qaeda and al-Qaeda and, and ISIS. Uh, I would suggest, Bob, certainly uh, when push comes to shove, uh, those three groups are all uh, Islamic jihadist groups, and they will unify at the as as the as the day comes uh, comes due. Right, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's what <laughs> that's how that all comes out. It, it is that, and it's I, you know that is true, and it's but it's it's far deeper than that. The the commitment to the Ummah, the Islamic family, is one of the major dogmatic precepts of uh, of Islam, and then uh, uh, all individual differences must must be pushed aside. Uh, in uh, defeating the kafir, the uh, the infidels, and that is the rest of the world uh, to the Islamic jihadist club. Yeah. Well, we're in a very difficult circumstance right now, and I think all of us, uh, 2020 uh, hindsight, we can think about a lot of different things we could have done. Unfortunately, this current administration attempts to justify, General Milley actually, or Miley, justifies what was done and said it was all part of the plan. I can't. It's just hard to fathom really makes me angry that all that equipment, I mean, the, the people, the humans, the nine lives lost, the people, 500 on the ground, or so forth, and, and airplanes now waiting to be brought in, the United States obstructing that whole process, and uh, the State Department. There are so many inexplicable things as you're, you're making that point, Bob. The, uh, the, uh, the State Department's uh, intervening in, in rescue flights and preventing, apparently preventing those flights from taking place. Seems seems to be beyond beyond definition yeah um it, it's hard to understand exactly uh, what is going on i i probably can say with some surety that there have been some secret agreements made between this administration and the taliban right uh, as to exactly what they are obviously i don't know that but uh the the actions can only be defined within a cooperative effort between the biden administration and the taliban itself Bob. Uh, well said. Uh, any other comments about Afghanistan? I'd like, to, I'd like to move on to what's happening with regard to the uh, the vaccine and the virus. I, you know, there are many other thoughts, Bob, but I, you know, I think at this point we're best just uh, letting things uh, percolate, as as they say, and 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 see how it develops. I think everything else is speculation and hypotheticals that take us nowhere. So uh, let let's give it some more time and let's hope that our government. Uh, find some solid footing uh, on which to operate. Right now, they're on quicksand. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, the uh, there's an anti-ivermectin hoax <laughs> afoot. Unfortunately, it's just uh, once we come up with a therapeutic that actually works for people, somehow, some way, the FDA and others step in to say that it's, it's uh, bad for us and it could kill us. And uh, lots of people in, I guess it was Oklahoma, someplace out west, we're dying as a result of uh, overdoses of ivermectin. 
Yeah, it's it's almost a religious fervor that uh, that the the anti ivermectin process has has reached. It's it's so fanatical. It's quite amazing. Let me just back up a bit and then just sort of start with. Uh, I had worked for Big Pharma for several years. I worked for FIBA, so I have some sympathies for the industry. The uh, the cost of research and development for a new uh, pharmaceutical product. The cost is extremely extremely expensive process well over a billion dollars to bring a new antibiotic to market and that number is probably on the on the very low side so right. uh, i have sympathies for the industry and the industry and i i never thought this was a <coughs> uh, uh, a solid footing to be on ethically the industry the pharmaceutical industry has always been resistive to suppl- supplements uh the reason being that supplements that they were seen as being legitimate substitute for uh, for pharmaceuticals under patent was certainly cut into the profitability. I, I gave that at the time some legitimacy because Big Farm did have a tremendous amount of expense associated with bringing products to product uh, to to market that were saving lives, and so I gave it that sympathetic look. Right now, I think the same thing is happening with ivermectin. I think we're seeing a a dramatic influence of of Big Farm, uh, as they are trying to uh, snuff out uh, ivermectin as a, as a therapeutic aid, it's proven uh, time and time again to be quite uh, effective and successful and safe. You know, you can't be going and taking the animal dose of this thing. That story you alluded to in terms of Oklahoma, the entire story was fallacious. Right. Uh, it, was, it was started by, uh, what was the, the magazine? I, I Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone, thank you, Bob. Uh, and the Rolling Stone publishes this uh, extended piece, theoretically written by a doctor at an Oklahoma hospital, saying that the hospital is overloaded with ivermectin patients who have taken overdoses based on the animal dose. And it's, <laughs> it's killing people. And, and the whole story, Bob, was was a complete lie. Right. Absolute complete lie. Now, for Rolling Stone to come up with this story and to, to go at it with such fervor, uh, must, well, at least to me, indicates that there's some outside financial influence that is guiding uh, the ivermectin uh, resistance. And I would have to say that it's big pharmaceutical that is, that is in fact, pushing back. And I think that's a very, um, not only unethical thing to do, I would almost position the resistance to ivermectin as criminal. In other words, Absolutely. if we have malicious, uh, malice of forethought, if we know an action we're taking, we'll... Uh, without uh, without any doubt, produce damage to human beings, including death tomorrow. And that is exactly the situation with ivermectin resistance. Uh, I think that is a criminal act. And I think that's what we're seeing right now is a, a criminal resistance sponsored by, the, by Big Farm. And I can't prove this, obviously, but it's the most likely case scenario. Uh, Big Farm is, in fact, putting up barriers to the acceptance of ivermectin. Ivermectin, by the way, Bob, has been totally accepted uh, within Japan as a legitimate accepted therapy uh, for, for COVID uh, Yeah, well, that's absolutely, that's what we're giving to Afghanistan when they're coming over to the United States, for crying out loud. And the interesting thing is that once we have a therapeutic that works against uh, the uh, virus, then that uh, eliminates the need for an emergency use authorization for uh, the Pfizer uh, drug. A vaccine. So obviously, the FDA and CDC, all these folks are fighting against it to prevent uh, the uh, elimination of the uh, emergency use authorization. 
Yeah, I think that's it. There's just so many implications to this. If we go back to the uh, original resistance to hydroxychloroquine, uh, that was uh, typically presented as because Trump had mentioned that that was the resistance. I'm beginning certainly to see that in a whole different light. I believe, again, at that point, it was Big Farm that was involved with the resistance to hydroxychloroquine. Uh, I might add in certainly Anthony Fauci to that resistance. Fauci has personal financial gain associated with the with the utilization of the Pfizer vaccine. Absolutely. Personal financial gain. Uh, I think if we look at the recent information that was uh, revealed by Intercept, uh, the Intercept Journal, indicating that uh, Fauci had, in fact, uh, been involved with gain-of-function research through the University of North Carolina, had uh, been involved with the research and financially long before the Wuhan lab had actually done any of that research, he brought the research apparently to the Wuhan lab himself. This has been well documented by Intercept magazine. And, and I would note that as, as far back as December of last year, I had published an essay indicating exactly that. Yeah. So the, I'm not lauding myself as I say that. I am just suggesting that this is information uh, that had a public availability as long ago as 10 months I know. So corrupt. And uh, the question is, who can you trust? It's, uh, you'd like to think that the CDC, the FDA, these are organizations that are, have the best interests of American citizens at heart, but I think they have, there's so much money influencing their decisions and politics that uh, it's difficult to have any trust at all for these organizations. It's unbelievable. Hey, before I let uh, you go, Andy, yeah, Bob, uh, before I let you go, uh, just uh, any comments about the 2020 uh, elections and... Uh, 2022? 2022. Well, you know, it's a, it's a point I've made on your show before and I've written about. I, I think we're going to see the, uh, the the COVID experience extended certainly into 2022. I think we'll see uh, the same um, uh, aberrations, uh, voting aberrations that were that took place in 2020. In 2022, uh, there's a significant level of optimism uh, on the Republican side uh, for the 2022 um results, but those are all based on the presumption of a legal election. I, I have serious doubt, doubts that we're going to see uh, that level of legality any more than we saw it in 2020, Bob. Yeah, well, thanks for those comments. Uh, we've got a canary in the coal mine coming up on the 14th with uh, our uh, the governor of California. Let's hope that uh, Larry Elder is the new governor of uh, California. That that would be a, perhaps a big turning point for this whole country, Bob. Absolutely. Andy, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you, Andy. All right, coming up, going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. 
Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598 598- 3889, that's 598 3889, or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598 3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's the author of several books. His 10th book, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional? I've read it. It's really terrific. What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional? Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Uh, Now, you write also a column on point uh, for Newsmax.com. And your latest is adversaries rush to fill leadership vacuum and Afghan abandonment void. Really insightful. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, this, uh, as we all know, I think all of us realize that this Afghanistan uh, pullout without apparently without any planning was seemed like a very rushed thing to uh, to make the deadline of you know having a victory lap for, you know, the upcoming uh, 20th anniversary of 9-11 and uh, pulling the troops out, it seemed to, that, that deadline uh, pushed a lot of rash decisions and and very deadly decisions. Uh, and, uh, you know, as, you know, to recap it, the, uh, pulling the troops out before the, before the many civilians that were scattered all over the country left and Abandoning the Bagram Air Base, that was a much better evacuation facility. It was north of Kabul, about 35, 40 miles. And uh, it was accessible. It wasn't like Kabul, which was totally surrounded. And uh, and, uh, and and then to leave the Taliban in charge of, of controlling the, not only letting them control the uh, access to the airport, but giving the biometric data of people that work with us and our own people so that they can be traced down. And, of course, there's dispute of how many of our Americans and how many of our, uh, they call them TERPs, you know, the interpreters and so on, that were 
helping them are trapped in 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 a landlocked country where well Russia has uh, Putin has prevented us from having any basing capabilities. We can't you know Uzbekistan and all the other those other five stands that are around them and and uh, you know the, the people are trapped. They can't get out by land. They can't get to Iran. They can't. Can't uh, really get out, and uh, it's really, it's really a terrible thing. But apart from being uh, really a, a really a very frightening situation with all those really hostages of Americans, we we uh, we, we abandoned when we abandoned Bagram, and we pulled out. We didn't even we didn't even tell our uh, United Nations partners or the or the Afghans that were in charge of the protecting the base. Didn't you tell them they pulled out in the middle of the night? So it was absolutely a disaster uh, of, of epic proportions. And this, of course, hasn't gone unnoticed by, you know, by, uh, you know, Iran as large as is, has been of Afghanistan's largest trading partner. And China wants their precious metals and, and, uh, and, their, and their rare earth metals, rather. And, 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 uh, Pakistan has been playing both both sides. We've been giving them lots and lots of money every year, but they they support you know the the training camps for for Al Qaeda and ISIS and so on. Uh, so you know when we got Osama bin Laden, we, he wasn't found in Afghanistan; he was found in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So and they were they were harboring him near their military academy, and so in a safe house. So. And say house, it was really a compound, and uh, so you know this is not lost, and and now we see China making very threatening overflights uh, with nuclear capable aircraft going over Taiwan and and um, taunting taunting Taiwan and really taunting America, saying you know if you if you expect you know America to defend you, you're dreaming. Uh, and uh, all you know, and and as I was was mentioning, you know, you have China and Russia and Iran and Pakistan all courting the uh, new regime in uh, in Afghanistan. It's it's just really a, it really uh, is humiliating to the United States. I think it's more than humiliating because we lost our our eyes and ears in Bagram and. We have absolutely no one could even trust us. We can that would trust us to share intel with us anymore. So we're we basically have no uh, forewarning about any potential attacks that could be manifest on us, much like the nine eleven event, and so on. So so uh, it's it's a shame and it's really a tragedy. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine the uh, anger that uh, our partners in uh, Afghanistan must have felt when they realized that we pulled out without getting notice from us, without even a phone call, explaining what's going on and why we're doing it. I mean, that's the courtesy you would extend, even if you didn't include them in the decision, my goodness. So uh, these people have to feel betrayed. I think of, I think of also uh, when we're, you know, our, our uh, call them deep state or CIA, I have, I have a friend uh, that's, you know, former CIA, and I know you know, we have a lot of conversations about, particularly the you know the people that, that are 
you know, still there in Afghanistan trying to get people out. And my gosh, these, these are these are brave people. And and then to see them, uh, these six aircrafts that are mm. and that are haven't been given clearance to take off from this airfield in northern Afghanistan, and 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 because it sounds like our State Department has been has been uh, so feckless and 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 impotent that they, they won't let them take off. I I have a hunch, and I, I shouldn't even you know, adventure, because I certainly don't know, but I think the Biden administration is afraid to to challenge the Taliban and say, let those flights leave, because if, if the uh, Taliban tell them to go pound sand, it just makes them look all the more impotent, and, and if that's possible, than they already are. And the State Department has... Apparently not been helpful in, in all of this, and, and and they have you know hundreds of really human shields where we have no leverage on them anymore. And uh, the notion that they're going to play nice and that we're going to ask you know ask them permission to, to to allow our own people to come back is 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 uh, again makes us look so weak, and, and which which I guess we are. Yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting. I, th- I think this was all orchestrated in order for uh, uh, President Joe Biden to take a victory lap uh, as being the one to pull out just before 9-11. That was the plan, I'm sure, and he was expecting uh, cheers and crowds and throngs of people saying, uh, we're so grateful. It's anything but. I mean, uh, he, he couldn't even pull off something for his own benefit, never mind for the American people. Well, there's nothing really... You know that that idea that it was a victory lap issue was the fact that that was originally the date that he set to pull out, mm-hmm. which couldn't couldn't be much more transparent. And then then they pushed the uh, the date back to August you know thirty first. In in afterthought, probably maybe because that would give them a chance to uh, you know to 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 string the the crepe paper along the victory route. <laughs> uh, who knows? But that was originally the you know the date the date that he set was was uh, you know the nine uh, eleven and uh, so I've got an article coming out actually Friday about how how the optics of what's going to actually exist on uh, next Saturday is so different than he had in mind and uh, there's nothing you know there's nothing really to joke about in any of this. It's just, it's just really such a, I, I can't imagine being there, you know, caught, we, you know, and, and we gave the biometric data, our, our country did, and so these people are hiding, waiting for a midnight, you know, raid on their home, in which homes are marked, and, yeah. and uh, these are, these are brutal people. Yeah, absolutely. Larry Bill, again, endowed professor at the University of Houston. His latest book, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. I hope you'll get a copy. What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Also visit On Point at Newsmax.com, Larry's uh, uh, column as well. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got great guests for tomorrow's show, including... Uh, he is uh, Keith Flaw. He is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, uh, former mayor of Naples. Bill Barnett will be with us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And Brad Palumbo, 
uh, correspondent with uh, the Foundation for Economic Education. I uh, always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.